I said, hey, ladies and fellas, if you're listening, as a woman of color, it is so hard to find lipsticks and glosses that really pop on my beautiful brown skin. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When the lipstick is giving lackluster instead of Lil Mama, okay? (laughs) Well, I discovered the most radiant, saturated, and pigmented lipsticks for richer complexions, and I found them at the Lip Bar. The Lip Bar is a black woman-owned and led beauty brand that focuses on providing effortless beauty options for all women, but especially women like us with highly melanated skin. Oh, and did I forget to mention that all Lip Bar products are vegan and cruelty-free? Get into it, friends. Make sure you click the link in the show notes to receive 10% off your first or next order of beauty products at the Lip Bar. Hashtag, you're welcome. Whatever you acquire during the marriage, whether it is an asset or a liability, it is a marital asset or liability. It is a marital house. It is a marital car. It is marital credit card debt, so long as it was used on marital purposes. So everything you accumulate without having anything else, any other agreements, any other contracts, everything becomes marital. And so you guys are kind of looked at as one person. And then should a divorce happen, we have to split this one person into two now and divide everything up. You are now listening to the Sugar Free Podcast, the premier life advice podcast for millennial women. Welcome to the Tea Party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. You know it's sugar free. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. Up in here, we like it sugar free. Come through, stop by, get up with me. With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. fantastic mood today and so i thought i'd give y'all a little extra energy on the intro what's up what's up what's up what's up what's up hey yes so welcome to another episode of the sugar free podcast the podcast for millennial women hosted by me your homegirl in your head sit mac are y'all ready for this week's episode Look, we already at episode five, so we're already a third of the way through the season. Can y'all believe it? I feel like it's been going so fast. Literally in 10 more weeks, season three will be over and we'll be back on our rerun schedule as I prepare and relax and tap into my creative juices for where I see the show heading for season four. Can y'all believe it? Alrighty, but before we get to that, I just want us to take a moment, okay? Let's just take a moment to live in season three. 
All right? Like, we are dead smack dab in the middle of season three, and we are living. We are doing it. I have received such great feedback and commentary from y'all about season three, and I'm so grateful that you all are enjoying it. The show's got a little bit of a new flair. We're touching on some super personal topics, but honestly, I just see the topics and the growth as part of my evolution. It's an extension of where I am with myself and in my life. And so it is an honor to share my journey with you and to see the show grow with me as I grow. So thank y'all as always for taking this journey with me. And let's get into this episode. So this week we are talking about the business of marriage, prenups, postnups, and marital assets. Now, friends, why did I want to talk about this topic if this season is supposed to be about feeling real good? Because keeping my coin makes me feel real good, okay? And so I know a lot of us are either married or contemplating marriage now that we are in our 30s. And just because we want to be married don't mean we got to be broke. It don't mean we got to be poor, okay? We can be happy and in love and all that other foolishness and still keep our coin. And so, ladies, I want us to really think about what it means to be married from a financial perspective and how we can protect our assets and our coins in marriage, The other reason why I think this topic is super important is because study and research shows, because y'all know I love a good statistic, that millennial women are getting married older than any other generation. So what does this mean? It means that we as millennial women are marrying much later than our mothers, our grandmothers, even then our older sisters and aunties, all right? So millennials in general are marrying, if they choose marriage at all, at much older ages than previous generations. For example, in 1965, the average marrying age for women was 21, and for men, it was 23. Today, the average age for marriage is 29.2 for women and 30.9 for men. So that means that most of us women, we're not getting married until our 30s. So what also does that mean? It means that we are entering marriages now with more assets, more things to lose, (laughs) right? Studies also suggest that millennials tend to cohabitate and get financially stable before moving forward into marriage. So again, we are accumulating things. We have homes, we have 401ks, we have rental properties, we have cars before we enter into marriage. Because if you think about it, if you're marrying at 23, what you got? Uh, Maybe a degree and some loafers, a few scrunchies. You know, maybe a puppy. That's about it. But now that we're marrying later, we're marrying in our early 30s and we got stuff. And you know what happens when you got stuff? You need to protect that stuff because you know what? In the great words of Tina Turner. Oh, whoa, whoa. What's love got to do with it? And love ain't got nothing to do with you coming for my stuff that I've accumulated if we get a divorce. Okay, so today's episode, we are getting into the nitty gritty details of prenups, 
postnups and marital assets so that we can protect our stuff. <laughs> I know that sounds petty, but a lot of times when you get into marriage, it's it's an emotional decision. It's I love you, Ray Ray. I love you, Pookie. But I'm really thinking about if Pookie decide to lose his mind during a quarter life, midlife crisis and want to get a Ferrari and a 20 year old, I still want to live a good life. <laughs> OK, I want my kids to live a good life and I want Pookie to ride off into the sunset with only the 20 year old in the tennis shoes that he came into the marriage on. OK, Pookie going to be riding off into the sunset in a bicycle if it's up to me. Okay, and so today I have invited my homegirl, season one favorite guest, Miss Jeffany Roy to the Tea Party to talk with us about how we can protect our marital assets before marriage, during marriage, and in the unfortunate event of divorce. Okay, wonderful. I'm so excited to get into this episode. Jeffany, welcome to the Tea Party, girl. Please tell the good people who you are and what you do. My name is Jeffany Roy, and I am a senior litigation family law attorney. I work with Family Matters Law Group out of Morrow, Georgia. Tell the people, ain't you a season one original guest of the Sugar Free <laughs> Podcast? Yes, I am. I'm the OG at this point. Yes. So I don't know if I've ever told you this, Jeffany, but you were our highest viewed episode, downloaded episode for season one. <laughs> Yes. Come to. Let's do it again, people. I'm sugar free. Yes. For season one, we were averaging probably between 100 to 200 weekly listeners, and you had well over 200 listeners. Yeah, who would have knew the non-social media person? Because you keep it real. And that's why we had you at the tea party last time. And that's why I brought you back, because this is a super important topic. And so I think historically, when we've thought about bringing people together through marriage, we think about doubling your income, right? Like pooling resources and this being a vehicle to a financial prosperity for women. But now that the woman is bringing home the bacon and frying it up, we need some advice on how to protect our assets and maybe to reconsider, like, is marriage the right choice for us? Because everybody knows that Oprah is my personal shero, right? Like I love right. Oprah, but I feel like it ain't no coincidence that Oprah and I married. <laughs> that Stedman is the forever boyfriend, right? Like I, I, I'm sure that there are other reasons why they decided that marriage wasn't the right institution for their union. But I have to think in my mind that the fact that she, the breadwinner in that relationship has something to do with it. So I'm excited for you to talk to us about how we can enter into the business of marriage in a way that's smart and protects our assets. Okay, let's go. Yes. So I want to start by asking you. So in our previous episode, you had mentioned that you've been married a couple times. And so I wanted to know, like, how did you maintain your financial stability through divorce? <laughs> <laughs> 
And you know, I'm not laughing at you, girl, but you know, or maybe you don't know, prior to this particular marriage, I, I didn't have nothing to keep. Like I was still the grunt. I was still grinding, still trying to find my way because what people don't teach you in becoming a first generation uh, six figure earner or high income earner, whatever that number is, is how to keep that number one and how to grow it right? Your salary alone, you know, unless you're making millions a year or millions um, every couple of years is not enough to sustain your finance, your financial growth, if you will, right? Because, you know, housing costs go up, food costs go up. As we can see, inflation is overtaking us right now. Gas prices are astronomical. And so nobody teaches you how to not only get money, but keep money and make that money work for you. So prior to this marriage, I didn't have anything to prenup from. <laughs> I went in and how I went in is how I came out. <laughs> Broke. <laughs> well, that actually is a really good point. And it's a question I think that a lot of women probably have is that a lot of times when you hear prenup, postnup, marital assets, in your mind, for at least me, I think if I don't have these things or if I don't have a certain dollar amount or if I don't make a certain amount of money, do I need to have a prenup in place? And so what is your opinion about that or advice you have? Do you think that it's worth it to get a prenup if you feel like you don't have a lot to bring to the table at the front end of the marriage? Um, it depends on. So for me, in my personal opinion, it is going to depend on where your fiance or soon to be spouse is in his journey. Right. Financially, um, asset wise. So for anybody who's getting ready to enter into a marriage, if you're a homeowner, that is enough to get a prenup. Mm. Right. Because you want to maintain that home as separate property. You want to maintain the equity that that home accumulates as separate property. So if something should go bad when you all separate. Um, that house will remain yours and all of the equity in it. Absent that, there is still the argument to keep it separate, but that becomes harder and harder because let's say you guys have to move into your home for a couple of months or years, and then he starts to pay the mortgage from time to time, or he fixes up the basement. Any little improvement to your separate property almost makes it marital and sometimes allows them to dig into your equity. Ooh. Okay. So just being a homeowner, if you own your vehicle, if you have a savings account, and it could be it could be little, it could be a thousand dollars, whatever it is, retirement, uh, specifically IRAs and things like that. You want to protect whatever it is you have, no matter how small. If this other uh, person or your soon-to-be spouse has a lot more, now if you guys are coming in, he got a house, you got a house you know, then that might be a conversation of how do we combine or how do we keep each of them separate and buy together, make it marital. So everybody still has their own, but let's buy something together and make sure we are building the empire together. Because if we both start off with zero, um, I don't have anything to prenup against. Now, can I prenup a future property, a future vehicle, future savings? Sure. Um, but for me personally, I don't want to prenup with someone who doesn't have um, anything more than I do. And then we build this together. 
Ooh, interesting. Okay. So I have, there was so much to unpack there. (laughs) So the first thing that I want to ask a follow-up question about is the separate asset. And the example that you used was the home. So if I have my own home before the marriage, and then we come together, what types of activities would maybe make the asset go from my asset to our asset? Like, is it, you said improvements on the property, but like, what if, what if we have, let's say, for example, a joint bank account and I pay the mortgage from the joint bank account, does that count? Even though it's my money in there too. But you can't differentiate whose money's paying what, right? So joint bank accounts, all your, all of, you guys' money is going into this pool of a bank account. And from that pool, you're paying the mortgage, the utilities, um, the repairs, the pest control. The argument from the other side is, hey, I helped maintain that home, although it was separate property. Sure, she gets to walk away with the actual asset, but I need some of that equity because I increased its value by ensuring that the bills were paid. To keep it completely separate, Um, If you have a house before marriage, number one, you don't ever want to deed it to anyone else. Other, I mean, unless it's your mom or your sister, but definitely not your your husband or your fiance. You don't want to allow them to pay mortgages or do any improvements. I mean, you don't want them really to pay anything concerning your house, the taxes, the insurance, nothing, because they can make an argument with the littlest contribution to say, hey, I deserve some of the equity in that house because I contributed to X, Y, and Z. And so when you say the equity, that means like if I ever sell it, they would be entitled to some of the proceeds or I might have to give them like at the time that we divorce, like just pay them whatever they think. Ooh. Both. So when I'm, when I'm talking about equity, I'm talking about if you sell it because of a divorce, they could be entitled to some equity. Or if you get a divorce and you choose not to sell it, you may be ordered to pay some dollar amount out of the equity because they contributed to the upkeep and maintenance of the home. Mm. Lord have mercy. This, this got deep real quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. If you own your home and let's say you let your fiance move in. You know, mm-hmm. now he's living there and I, I, I don't, for me, ain't nobody going to be living rent free. So he contributed <laughs> in some kind of form of fashion. And that's just, that's an argument. That was our quote unquote marital home for five years at the beginning of our marriage, you know? And so there's the argument. And so a prenup would help solidify that separate property and save that equity to be completely and solely yours. Mm. Okay. Okay. I know we, I know we got a a little bit ahead of ourselves here, (laughs) but uh, to take us back to the foundation, I want to start out with maybe defining some terms and then we can get back into this conversation because I don't want people to get lost because we've thrown out a lot of terms with prenup and equity and marital asset. And so I want us to go back for just a second and kind of clarify some things so that when we get into the real nitty gritty, everybody's following along. And so the first term that I really want us to define is actually 
marriage. I think that when people think of or hear the word marriage, they think of, oh, I'm in love and we're going to solidify our union before God and our friends and la, la, la. But really, (laughs) right, marriage is a legal concept that is not necessarily have nothing to do with you, how much you love somebody, God or anything else. And so how legally do we define marriage and like what are the terms and conditions of that relationship? So marriage and it in and of itself is a legal contract. Basically, you have to go down to the courthouse. You have to apply for a marriage license. Once the ceremony has been done, whoever married you, um, number one, they have to be licensed or approved by the state to um, perform weddings. And then they have to sign the marriage certificate so that it makes it official. And that is what contracts the parties to the marriage. Mm. And then so once that is the only way to be married in the state of Georgia. So prior to 1997, common law marriage was very prevalent. And that is where you held yourselves out to be husband and wife and you live together and you raise children together. That is no longer a thing. And so no matter how long you live with somebody in Georgia, if you all don't get that marriage license and have it signed, um, your marriage does not exist. Mm. So when you enter into this contract with your now spouse, husband or wife, what does that mean in terms of your legal relationship to that person? It means that whatever you acquire during the marriage, whether it is an asset or a liability, it is a marital asset or liability. It is a marital house. It is a marital car. It is marital credit card debt so long as it was used on marital purposes. So everything you accumulate without having anything else, any other agreements, any other contracts, everything becomes marital. And so you guys are kind of looked at as one person. And then should a divorce happen, we have to split this one person into two now and divide everything up. Okay. So, you know, I'm a business lawyer. This to me sounds like we, we just basically formed our own business together. You You formed a partnership. (laughs) And when the partnership dissolves, i.e. you have been divorced. Mm. Dang. Dang, got you thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah, it really does. Because like I said, I feel like a lot of people, women, especially we, Oh, I love him. And we don't really think like, is this person a good person? partner like if I would not get into business with this person this why is why would you get into bed with them not into bed you might get into bed with them but you might not want to get into marriage with them <laughs> I plead the fifth well we know that from the previous episode you mentioned that you have only gotten into bed with both literally and figuratively men that you have been married to so for you marriage and getting into bed is kind of synonymous yeah for for me not so much so we could maybe do and and that's not not to say that's not to say I waited until I married them but we was gonna get married and we was in the bed (laughs) see you know I could maybe get in one bed and not the other yeah yeah But I love that. And I love that we are now like kind of reframing our minds for this conversation 
because it's going to help us to think about marriage differently. Because as women, we is I personally think it's important for us to maintain a sense of financial stability and independence to the best of our ability. And if you are entering into your marriage just based on love, you could be significantly endangering your ability to be financially stable if you are not also entering into the marriage with the understanding that this is a legally binding contract and you are now in business with this man. So I see it. I I see it so often. Um, Most times it is the man who is the breadwinner in a heterosexual marriage Sometimes the women are the homemakers. They raise the kids. They do all the home stuff. Sometimes they don't work. Um, And then when it's time for a divorce and we're asking questions like, hey, you know, how much is in your husband's retirement? What's in savings? What do you guys have in check-in? You know, what are your assets other than the house you live in? They are clueless. They have no idea what's in retirement, no idea what's in savings. And for me, that's shocking. For me, I can't Mm. function that way. For me, I need to know that our overarching financial situation is either stable or we need to buckle down and do better or we need to earn more money or whatever it is. I cannot blindly myself sit back and just let my husband pay the bills and manage the finances and I don't know what's going on. So in that same scenario, let's say you have a woman who doesn't know you know, what's in the accounts or what accounts exist legally, does the man have an obligation to be honest about what exists or have you seen it where they've been able to successfully like hide money or accounts at the time of divorce? During the marriage, um, during the marriage, you operate the way they allow you to operate. Right. So, um, for example, a, a man, they get a man and a woman, they get married He's making, let's say, $100,000. She's making uh, $40,000. And then she decides to quit her job and be a stay-at-home mom. They are married um, seven years after this fact. And he's complained the entire time, right? Get a job. I need help. Boom, boom, boom. The reality, and and it's a tough reality for a lot of people to hear, especially the one making the money, you allow them to be unemployed for seven years. And so there is a high possibility that you're going to pay alimony Mm. to rehabilitate them, to get them financially stable or to help in some form of fashion. That can be a lump sum payment. That can be higher division of asset to wife and higher division of liability to husband. That can look like a lot of things, but sitting in a marriage with a spouse not doing their part, if that was the plan, and you allow it to go on, that puts that other person in a, in a predicament. Um, and it ends up making people bitter because at the end of the day, we're not fighting about custody. We're fighting about money. Yeah. Yeah. So one word that you mentioned that I kind of want us to define as well. What exactly is alimony? Because I think people have a lot of different ideas about what it is and don't really know. Right. So alimony, another term that is often used is spousal support. And so alimony is payment from one party to the other party. 
either during a pending divorce or after a divorce is final, um, basically providing financial support uh, for a certain period of time or indefinitely. Um, and it comes from one person paid to the other person. And it can look like, hey, you pay this amount every month via Zelle, or you send a check, or you send a money order. And that's what it is. And in Georgia, there has to be a need for alimony and an ability to pay. And then if those two things are met, we look at lifestyle, how long have you been married, what kind of financial status, you know, the other party is in. And that's what alimony is. Whoa. What about like, because I, I don't know if this is true. So my mom is a law and order lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> SBU. Listen, shout out. Doom, 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 doom. You know, yes, don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll walk that all day <laughs> and won't get out the bed. Listen, y'all will be best friends. And so I don't know if this is true or not. But she has mentioned and she and she may also know this from her experience divorcing that alimony is not available. And, and I don't want to discredit her knowledge because I'm not barred in Nevada. So I don't know what those rules are. But just generally, do you know if whether or not the person who was previously not working like the stay at home parent, if they have the ability to get a job, will that potentially disqualify them from alimony or only those two things that you mentioned matter? So the only thing in Georgia that disqualifies or bars a party from getting alimony is infidelity. Mm -hmm. So the breadwinner is the breadwinner. The stay-at-home wife is the stay-at-home wife. The stay-at-home wife cheats, and it is the cause of the divorce. And we have um, preponderance of the evidence, meaning we can prove that she has cheated and it was the cause of the divorce. She cannot get alimony. Now- the gall you you gonna be staying at home you're not paying no bills and you cheating uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she done told him he ain't spending enough time with her and he ignored her <laughs> you these are nerd. things that i've heard <laughs> these are not my opinion <laughs> well listen if you are doing that and you know you ain't paying no bills you better not get caught and better not be no evidence against you <laughs> right <laughs> there's always evidence Oh, Lord, have mercy. Okay, so So that's the only thing in Georgia that bars it. A a person being underemployed, unemployed, the court may consider those things along with other factors to say yay or nay to alimony or to say this amount versus this amount or this length of time versus this length of time. But the only disqualifying factor is if infidelity played a part in the cause of the divorce. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so a couple of more terms that I want to define as we get into how we can protect our assets in marriage. What is a prenup? A prenup is simply an agreement before marriage. That's it. That's it. It's an (laughs) agreement about what we're going to do with our savings, what we're going to do with our check-ins, what we're going to do with our houses, what we're going to do with our cars. What are we going to do with our, um, you know, stop, right? So a prenuptial agreement is simply an agreement. I want to agree with you and you want to agree with me 
And a good example is, hey, even though we're married, whatever I accumulate in my name solely will, will, will remain mine after divorce and vice versa. So when you say like solely, like let's give the house example that we did at the beginning that I'm paying for it. Let's say my house, I had it before the marriage. I paid for it on my own for five years before the marriage. But once we got married, married, I'm maybe using our joint funds to pay the um, pay the mortgage, like where you can't differentiate from who put in what in the pot. Would that still be considered like my thing for the purposes of the prenup or could they say it's not mine anymore? It, it would still be yours and oh. all of the equity in it based on the agreement. Okay. Right. But every agreement, every contract has loopholes, has holes. There's arguments for everything. And so you would need an ironclad prenup like very, very hard to penetrate if that were the case, because what you want to be clear in your prenuptial agreement is, hey, I had this property before marriage. It will remain mine. There's no claim or interest from my soon to be husband, even if he contributes to the maintenance, upkeep or repairs or renovations. Right. And I don't know that a lot of people will sign it with that particular language. Prenups a lot of time cover future properties or future endeavors. For example, I may have a prenuptial agreement that says, hey, anything that I acquire during the marriage solely in my name shall remain mine solely. All of its interests, all of the equity, anything that I acquire in my name solely. The idea is each party has the ability to acquire things in their own name. They are solely responsible for the costs associated with it, all the liabilities. And then Whatever we acquire together jointly with our names, we will consider marital. Mm. And even with things like that, you can say if we acquire um, three houses, the wife shall take two, I shall take one, or the husband shall take two, the wife shall take one, that you can just basically map out what you want in a prenuptial agreement. The only mm. thing you cannot prenup is custody and child support. And technically a 401k. Oh, okay. There was a lot to unpack there. Let's, let's back up. Let's, let's back up. So the first thing that you mentioned is the exceptions and loopholes that you can find in most agreements. And that is true. So how do we make our prenups ironclad? Or let's say I, I come to Joe Schmo divorce attorney and I tell him, you know, I want an ironclad prenup. What should I be looking for to ensure that Joe Schmo has actually made my prenup ironclad? You want to look for every angle, right? So let's, and I'm going to take a single example. Anything I acquire in my name during the marriage shall be mine solely. Mm -hmm. The loopholes, the, the 360 view that you want to have around that term is even if my spouse contributes, even if I lose my job and they pay all of it, even if um, they have to take out a loan in their name to help cover, like you want to do a 360 view of every 
every angle, every scenario that you can possibly think of in that singular contractual term surrounding your house. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Get them from every angle. From every angle, you want to cover all the bases that you can possibly conceptualize. Okay. Okay. And so you, you also mentioned that it's difficult to get the spouse to agree to those. Like, why? In some cases. Okay. Because if, if I am, if we're getting married and I say what I get in my name is mine, what you get in your name is yours. Don't come over here asking me for nothing. Boom. (laughs) <laughs> if you want it to remain yours, don't ask me for nothing. Mm. That's the name of the game. So if if we can't have it like that, um, and, and if they try to throw in language like, oh, you know, even if the wife contributes or even if they do renovations, I'm, I'm pulling back because that mm. means now my assets or my income or my savings are going to theirs. And when we get divorced, I get no parts of it. Ooh. Oh, listen, I listen. I never been married (laughs) and the way things are going. (laughs) Who knows? But I feel like men that I've dated, it gets so salty about that. This is mine. This is yours. I'll never forget. And I don't remember if you remember this guy, but I live with him in law school and he didn't have a car. But I would be like, you can't use my car. We're not married. This is clearly my car. And he would get so upset about that. Like, you know, we should share everything. And I'm like, "Eh, but you ain't got nothing to share. Like, it's a lot easier to say, oh, we we should share everything. And let's put it. But I'm the the one doing all the sharing. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you ain't got no coin. So if let's say you get in a car accident, you can't fix the car. Or you do some damage to my vehicle. You can't even pay the deductible. That's a no-go. Girl, I was just like. You you know, I've been there, done that too. But that was way, way. That was in my 1920s, honey. Early 20s at that. Same. I was 24, 25 when we lived together. But I can imagine. I use that as an example because I can imagine a man getting a little salty if he like they. My little rental house over here and need a little fixing up. Could you help me? And you be like, mm, I ain't going to get none of that. You on your own. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I had, I was dating a guy one time and he asked me to sign a prenup. And I, I said, well, well Punkin, what this, this was before I was a lawyer. And I was like, well, well Punkin, what am I prenup? <laughs> Cause you ain't got nothing. <laughs> so what what we prenup he was like oh because i'm gonna blow up i'm gonna be big and you know i work so hard and you know you're coming in at the tail end of all of my hard work and i'm like oh, okay well i ain't the one for you mm. i felt some kind of way but i also had not acquired anything myself per my previous conversation and so i did not understand the why because where I am today, <laughs> baby, you let somebody come. Let something happen to my my wonderful, marvelous husband. Amazing, honey. Yes, ironclad. Yes, <laughs> Cause because you work too hard. You too hard. Work. Yeah, and, and honey, boo boo coming along, you ain't helped with none of it. 
Yeah. But this is my thing, too. Even if all you had, even if all I have is Bentley, right? (laughs) The dog. Even if that's the only thing I own to myself and my name, I want to protect that thing. Right. Even if you only have a thousand dollars in your bank account at the point that we decide that this relationship isn't working out, I want you to ride out on the loafers and the Kango hat that you rode in on. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So even if we only talking about protecting a thousand dollars i want all one thousand dollars and whatever interest it accumulated in my bank account look look, look at that 360 view now you t- you touching that 360 <laughs> but it also prenups also protect future earnings future savings future houses future, so you know it might be a thousand right now but when it grows to 20,000 i still want it to be mine because it grew to 20,000 because of the work i already did Absolutely. So I do have a follow up question too, from the anecdote that you just provided. So in the instance where you felt like you didn't want to sign the prenup, because I feel like there's a lot of people out there that probably feel the same way or run into spouses who are anti prenup. If you had at that time, decided we to prenup. come on Kanye Kanye <laughs> Kanye got a prenup okay never mind sorry girl girl any anytime we we quote Kanye it's getting real <laughs> <laughs> listen but let's say like you run into that example do you feel like because you came into the relationship with nothing there could have been a prenup presented to you that could have put you in a worse position than how you came in? So I can answer that in twofold. Instinctively, I will say no, right? But thinking through life and the life that I've lived, if I walk into something and I didn't have anything, but my blood, sweat, and tears helped you build what you have in the background. If I walk away from that with nothing, I've done a disservice to myself. So yes, I walked away worse than how I entered. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just was uh, curious too. Like, so if we encounter, you know, spouses who are anti-prenup or we ourselves are hesitant about entering into a prenup, like what are some of the conversations that we can have or, you know, what should like, what should we be discussing to kind of make us feel a little bit better about the prenup or make a spouse feel a little bit better? You know what I mean? So my, my entire I don't know, philosophy, dating history, background is I'm, I'm a very upfront person. I, I don't hold any punches. I want to know within the first two or three dates what it is, what we doing, who are you, who am I? This is what I'm bringing to the table. Blah, blah, blah. I think the conversation needs to happen early, happen early on, in other words. So if you know that, you know, and a lot of people don't talk about things like this early on because as women, um, we're so desperate for a man. We don't want to scare them off. And I'm like, if you scare them off, he's one for you. No way. Facts. I mean, you just, I, I think it's a, it's an early conversation starter that you should have. It's just like when you're talking and getting to know somebody, you need to know what kind of credit they have. You know, you need to know what kind of criminal history they have. It, you know, you, 
I need you to know I want a prenup if this were to move into the realm of marriage. And are you going to be okay with that? Because if not, I can cut my losses now and, you know, go on about my business. Won't have no hurt feelings, ain't no love loss. We ain't got to get into no tit for tat, back and forth argument. We can just cut our losses now. Yeah. And you know what? I got to tell the people. So Jeffany is that friend. If you tell her, oh, I'm dating some guy, she's going to be like, give me his first name, his last name, his middle initial, his mama name, because we about to look him up. Okay. We about to, we about to run a background on him. <laughs> yeah. A thorough background. <laughs> I need to know what we're working with. <laughs> You everybody needs a friend like Jeff because she go make sure you protect it. OK, <laughs> absolutely. First and, dates, I need a picture of his license plate. I need a picture of him. Girl, and she gonna make sure you ask the right questions, because I think you're absolutely right that we don't necessarily have these financial conversations early. And then by time we have them, because sometimes you can want to have them. And I, I can say this in, in a like two of my past relationships where at the point at which I had them, I was so invested emotionally in the relationship that I now had to make a decision as to whether or not I wanted to just divest from two years of emotional connection and intertwinement because the money's not right. Or if I'm going to just try to make it work and hope the money part comes together at some point. But I feel like this conversation is so eye opening because as we said at the beginning, if you would not start a business with this man, if you would not enter into business with this man, then marriage may not be the right union for you. You might need to pull a Yandy, honey, and and just have a union before God and your friends. That's right. it. <laughs> right. Period. <laughs> and yeah. I think I think early conversations um, are good for you, too. Right. Like it, it saves a lot of heartache. It saves a lot of the you know, gaslighting that people do. It saves a lot of the back and forth text, email, phone calls. Like, I'm just not that person. Once we have a conversation and if it's not my jam, I'm just going, you know, bow out gracefully and going about my business. Mm. I feel you. I feel this is the, this is the real talk that we need. So I have a couple more questions that I need to ask attorney Roy. Okay, come back. Because <laughs> two years. <laughs> Girl, I was, yeah, I was playing Russian roulette. Girl, I know, I know, I know. And you know, you know. <laughs> no, but I was in, I loved him though. <laughs> you loved it to him. We ain't just I podcast know. friends. We real friends. You know, you know. I know. <laughs> and I know you was probably looking at me, but this is, this is the thing, right? I know that. Jeffany's going to give me tough love, but I know she's never going to judge me. That's right. She going to be like, what we doing? But it's never from a place of judgment. And so, you know, she going to let me be raggedy. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Because we all been there. (laughs) All right. So a couple more questions. So what would you say are the biggest financial mistakes that people make in marriage with or without a prenup? Like, is it? taking on debt? Like, like what are some of the biggest things that we need to avoid financially in marriage? The number one thing is living beyond your means. Mm. The number two thing is, is being, being in the unknown at, 
whether one spouse handles everything or not, um, I think everybody should have a common knowledge about household finances, about personal expenditures, personal debt, whether the credit card is in the husband's name or the wife's name, like how much is on your credit card? Because, you know, at some point you're going to take from the pool for the household to pay that personal credit card debt because it might have been used for us to go to dinner or vacation or whatever. So keeping your eyes on finances and a 360 view for the household, the marriage, his finances, your finances, I think that's very important. So I have a follow up question. You said don't live beyond your means. So when you're married, when you say means, do you mean what you're making individually? Like you shouldn't be having a lifestyle or spending on things that you couldn't yourself afford to continue in the event of dissolution of the marriage or our means now our collective means? I'm talking from a collective means standpoint. Collectively, can we live this lifestyle? Collectively, can we buy this house? Can we afford this house? If something happened to my husband or myself, can I pay this mortgage by myself? I'm that type of thinker, right? And so when times are good, they're good, finances is flowing, but what if times get rough? Are we able to maintain this lifestyle with one income or two incomes that are less? And so for me, I'm, I am very nervous about debt. I do not like debt. I do not like owing people. I do not like to carry a lot of credit card debt. And I could have so much more liquid cash if I was not as concerned about debt. And it's not just about the credit score. It's just about what if I really need it one day and I don't have it because I don't used it to buy Louis Gucci and mm. Valentino. <laughs> but I really needed to pay this mortgage and these kids, you know, tuition or whatever it is for a car note or, you know, groceries. I, I like to have all of my available credit. Well, when you look at it that way, right, like even though you may not have the liquid assets, like you mentioned, you still have the same amount of available funds if they if you need them, like just it's just instead of them being available in readily available funds, there is going to be available to you as credit, but it's still available. Right. But but because I'm so funny about debt, I do not want to pay anybody interest on money that is already mine. And if I have to borrow from my credit line or borrow from my available credit, I'm paying an astronomical interest rate to have the liquid cash that I could have had if I would have just let that balance matriculate and just pay on, not try to pay it off. Yeah. Well, so then that's there's another follow up question I have here. So when we're talking about means and living beyond your means as an attorney in your experience divorcing people, what have been some of the negative impacts at the point of divorce and dissolving the marriage of living beyond the means? One spouse has a car note that they can't afford on their own salary. Mm. Or they have a house that neither party can afford on their own after the divorce. And then they're forced to sell the house, relocate the kids, find an apartment or find another house because they only banked on this joint income. Mm. Gotcha. So it becomes very disruptive at the point of dissolution because you really got to get a new everything. 
<laughs> right. And, and then the credit card debt, credit card debt, tax debt, those have been big eye openers for people going through divorce. And unfortunately, bankruptcy becomes their next step in the legal system. Wait, wait, wait. So if we have a a credit card, let's say that we own jointly and I can't afford to pay it on my own at the point of divorce, I would have to file bankruptcy. Or just let it tear your credit up. I mean, so let's say you have a joint credit card um, and let's say there's $50,000 owed on a credit card and the judge says you pay 25K, you pay 25K, right? On a $50,000 credit card, depending on what the interest rate, a minimum payment can range from $1,500 to $2,500 a month. That takes away from like the necessity, housing, food, transportation. And so when you think about it like that, if they are not extremely high earners and they can afford that now living separately, each of them paying their own rent or mortgage, each of them paying all of their utilities, plus their car note, their insurance, cell phone, eating, getting clothes, and then a $2,500 credit card bill. Oh, ooh, this just got real. <laughs> just Because I can imagine that that is probably a very real scenario. It is real. For a lot of people, girl, girl. So when you're talking about people having $50,000 of credit card debt together that they now cannot afford separately, like, I feel like that is real. That is probably one of the most real examples of living beyond your means. And it's so important, I think, for people to hear because the next step that you said was bankruptcy. Like, that's real. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's not a consequence that most people would think about when they think about divorce and the di- dissolving and dissolution of a marriage is if we don't get this business taken care of, we could both end up in financial ruin. Now, imagine the same scenario, except the credit card is only in one spouse's name. And although the judge ordered that both pay a certain amount, pay timely, if one party can't afford to do it, they're not going to pay. And whose credit is that going to mess up? Yawns. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that same scenario, like obviously the creditors aren't going to be going after the person whose name isn't on the card, but right. can like they have a judicial order in play saying that they have to pay. So would they maybe be liable for some type of back payments or can can we get them on something? I mean, you can always file contempt of the court order that they're not abiding by. Okay, so I have a follow up question about this because I'm just feeling real uncomfortable right now. (laughs) Actually, I'm feeling real grateful. I am feeling real grateful because I feel like I have dodged a lot of bullets in my life, right? Because just because I've never been married doesn't mean I've never been proposed to before. I'm on proposed to. (laughs) Listen, listen. And God saved me. He Mm -hmm. protected me because I was doing it because, oh, I love him. All this and that and the third. And God was like, "Mm -mm, he ain't it. He will have your behind in financial, emotional, spiritual ruin. Strain ruins. Yes. So I am an avid believer in the famous Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? (laughs) But really, though, 
But really, because a heartbreak, I can get over that. You know what I mean? Like, especially if I still have my coin, I can afford a therapist. We can work through that. And so luckily, all those relationships cost me was some hurt feelings and a few trips to therapy. But what if they had also cost me my home? Foreclosure. My credit. Bad credit. Girl, I'm like, you know how hard it is to get an apartment, much less buy a house with bad credit or a foreclosure on your credit or late payments on your credit. It's extremely hard. Okay, so last question about credit. So student loans, huge issue right now. Let's say my spouse and I. One of us has student loans and the other one doesn't. To help the other one who does not have student loans tackle their student debt, the one who doesn't have any loans helps the other pay down their debt. In the event of divorce, is all that money that you contributed to their student loans gone or can you get it back? Can you prenup? It's considered a gift unless there's a postnuptial agreement that says, hey, for the sanctity of our marriage and for the love I have for my wife, I'm going to help her pay her student loans. I'm going to, you know, pay this, uh, this amount per month or a total lump sum of this amount. Should we ever get divorced? That money comes back to me. Okay. So you, you mentioned another term, what's a post-nuptial agreement and like, how is it different from a prenup? It's different because it's an agreement that's drafted after the marriage. But otherwise, it serves a very similar purpose. It serves the same purpose. um, And it allows you to um, agree on a 401k. So a 401k, custody, and child support are the things that you cannot prenup. Postnup, you can add 401k to the pot. You still can't add custody or child support, but you can add 401k. There are ERISA, E-R-I-S-A rules and IRS rules that govern 401k and a postnuptial can get around those rules because now the person signing the postnuptial is your wife and not your fiance or your husband, your spouse. Okay. Okay. I'm following. This has been such good advice. This is, this has been, listen, like after this conversation, I'm feeling like marriage may not be for me. Unless I'm, <laughs> unless I'm marrying rich, then let's do it. Right. Cause I only yeah. stand again, yeah. but if it ain't that, I don't know, girl, it ain't going to be for love. I can tell you that. <laughs> Amen. Not, not like the blind love. I'm so in love. Do whatever you want. It won't be for that. No, oh, no, it won't be that. Oh no. <laughs> so last question, what is your best advice? to single people, people on the verge of marriage for protecting yourself financially in marriage? What can we do? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> Besides not get married. <laughs> you, can, you can do a prenuptial agreement. Um, if you have assets before marriage, and you don't want to do a prenuptial agreement because you don't want to rub your future spouse the wrong way. You don't want anybody to feel some kind of way to keep it separate. 
Don't commingle funds that pay for it. Don't add anybody's name to the deed. Don't refinance it and add anybody to the financing. Just keep it separate. If you need anything done to it, do it yourself or ask your friend, your sister, your brother, your cousin them. Don't ask your boo. And so if you do that, even without a prenup, you have a, a strong chance of keeping it from the other partner in divorce. Without question. Ooh. Okay. Okay. You know, lawyers don't make a whole lot of guarantees, mm-hmm. but this mm-hmm. is without question. All right now. Without question. I like those odds. <laughs> <laughs> As always, this has been such I'm a phenomenal. About he can't hang a picture up. Don't cut, cut up a hole or nothing. <laughs> he can't even, even take out the no, trash. Don't even take the trash out. Don't wash no dish. Matter of fact, we can't even live here. We got to go find something together. It'll be your rental property. That's right. Or your Airbnb, however you want to do it. Yes. Yes. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Can you believe it's been? we've been on here an hour already? I can't. Now, let me tell you what I really can't believe is that these kids allowed me to be great for an hour. Yes. Yes. I appreciate you, children. Yes, children. Okay, so before we let you go, you know, we have to get into our sugar free quickies. So the sugar free quickies are a series of either or questions and you cannot choose both and you cannot provide an explanation unless I ask for one. But you, so you have to just choose one or the other. You ready? Okay, let's go. All right. All right. So for you personally, attorney Roy hat off for Jeffany, the woman prenup or no prenup prenup. Boom. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is more difficult to negotiate in divorce money or child custody? Ah, no, you can't, can't pick. It depends on the, the people's, <laughs> but for those making the money, it's the money for those raising the kids. It's the kids. So you, what's the answer? <laughs> Wait, can you ask the question again? <laughs> For which is more difficult to negotiate or settle in a divorce? Issues with money or issues with child custody? Custody. Okay. All right. See, we're going to have to have you back on for a part two so you can talk about child custody. Because <laughs> I'm sure that is a whole another animal. So next question, when going through a divorce, and this is not you, lawyer, Jeffany, because I know, I know this is just for the people. Hire a lawyer or represent yourself? Always hire a lawyer and please vet that lawyer. If they don't do family law, my particular specialty, if their banner says DUI, criminal, business, uh, PI, real estate and family law, Basket it weaving, yeah, <laughs> hair braiding, accounting, <laughs> microdermalasia, uh, all that. Walk away. But I always think people should have a lawyer if they can afford one. And sometimes you got to make the sacrifice to afford one um, because pro se people, people that represent represent themselves in the most simple things get railroaded so often because they don't know. Yeah. As a lawyer, the times when I have had to access the judicial system for my protection, I did not represent myself. 
So I agree. Okay, a couple more. And then we're going to get back to this because I want you to be able to share with the people your information. We want to get you some clients. (laughs) Big traditional wedding or courthouse quickie. I'm a courthouse quickie. I feel you, girl. I feel you, girl. Last question. Would you rather be common law married or legally married? Legally married. Yeah. Yeah. I Can I tell you why? Yeah, please okay. do. Please do. So for some reason, I have no idea why. Every person in a relationship that I have met from New York, they be in the longest relationship ever without marriage. They be like, oh, we've been 13, gang, gang, 15 years, gang, gang. And I, for the life of me, cannot understand why. And it might be for the protections such as Oprah, right? But nine times out of 10, it's not because they end up getting married and then they're divorced in two years. But what you just missed out on the last 15 years was the ability to make claim against their social security Mm. and benefits that would rightly belong to you had y'all been married for all them gang gang years. Not gang gang. <laughs> Not gang gang. <laughs> they, they, they be hashtag gang gang relationship goals. But you, okay. And it's no judgment. If you don't want to get married, that's fine. But nine times out of 10, it ain't because one of them don't want to get married. It's because of other things, and maybe one don't, or they want to wait longer. Like, mm mm. Mm Well, we appreciate you. And so if I ever get divorced and listen, I have referred every every one of my friends who comes to me and says, I need a family law attorney. I always refer them to you. And if I get divorced, listen, I want you to I want you to take that man for every penny he got the loafers, the Kango hat, (laughs) everything. Get it all. (laughs) She does not mean it, you guys. Okay, future husband listening. She don't mean it. She's the sweetest person you'll ever meet. Jeffany, get it all. <laughs> the trash he took to the curb, the nail he put in, a, get it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> and so if you two want to work with Attorney Roy, how can we connect with you? How can we find you? How can we get in contact with you? So I work at a family law boutique law firm, Family Matters Law Group out of Morrow, Georgia. Um, You can find us on IG. Our handle on IG is Family Matters Law. And that's matters with the S. The website is thefamilymatterslaw.com. And Facebook, last but certainly not least, it is Family Matters Law Group, comma, PC. And I will be putting this in the show notes for you guys so you guys can contact Jeffany so y'all can get your prenups and your postnups in order. I'm real serious about this, y'all. Like, we need to get our coins together. We need to keep our coins. And so... Thank you, Attorney Roy, for joining us today. I'm so glad you're here because I didn't need Jeffany here today to to convince me of getting a prenup. I already know I'm getting a prenup. I brought Jeffany here today to convince y'all that y'all need a prenup, a post-nup, and whatever other nup is going to protect these coins, okay? (laughs) 
And so make sure that y'all protect yourselves, your families, your assets, and above all else, the coins. Keep them safe. The coin. Protect the bag. <laughs> yes. So thank you again, Attorney Roy, for joining us this week. And thank, thank you, you for having me again. Of course. And thank you guys for tuning in for another incredible episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. Make sure you tune back in next week for another fantastic episode, Real Talk. And of course, plenty of the most exquisite tea. That's 100% sugar free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar-Free Podcast or at Sugar-Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a With plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced, licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try Formally today.